Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview, or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. Things, but I thought this is a great opportunity just to give you an opportunity to see into my heart, to see the things that I care about. Um, and so I thought we would spend a few weeks talking about that. How does that sound? You could say terrible, and I would still do it. I would still do it. I have the microphone. Nothing's going to... Before we get into this, I do want to acknowledge that, that uh, passions or things that stir us emotionally, stir our hearts, they can change from time to time. Uh, some of you probably remember uh, just a few years ago when... Uh, you know, Seahawks' passion had gripped the Northwest by storm. And and many of us who hadn't cared, you know, one bit for the results of a Seahawks game uh, suddenly were impassioned by what was happening on the field and how their record was. And I've learned for myself, I can only care about teams that are winning because the emotional experience of caring about a team that's losing is just, it's, awful, you know, who wants to live their life like that, so I am admittedly a fair weather bandwagoner, all things when it comes to our local teams, I mean, I don't, I'm not cheering for teams that are far away, because I'm not that kind of a bandwagoner, but, but I wear my Seahawks shirt when they're winning, and it sits in the bottom of my drawer gathering, uh, I don't know, mildew when they're not, so, um, so passions can change, but but I think for many of us, we have core things that we care deeply about, passions that we really hold. And those things, they might change gradually over the course of a lifetime, but they're certainly more transcendent than like a winning season or a year or two or a season or two of life. They're things that, that, are, uh, that we just hold on to a little bit longer than that. Um, and so uh, these are the three things that I feel like they have, they have defined me for probably uh, most of my adult life, certainly the entire time that I've, I've been a, uh, a professional Christian, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, and, uh, and these are things that I really care about. Again, these aren't, these aren't like, this is not like put it in the bylaws of renewal and, and all of that. This is just an opportunity to hear my heart. So, um, so Lord, I just thank you that you are a God who sees and cares deeply about each one of us. I pray that you would use uh, these next three weeks of just my own open vulnerability about, about myself to just inspire us to be people who would open up our lives to each other and would truly walk together and, uh, and just share ourselves with one another in the fellowship that you call us to and in the oneness that you call us to as the body of Christ. And so uh, we just we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as, as a person, my my first passion uh, is, is to be someone who is living loved by my Savior. Uh, to transfer that into like my pastor hat or, or pastor collar maybe. As a pastor, my passion is that the church would be living loved by our Savior. By nature, I'm an achiever. I'm, I'm a doer. I, I can get really excited about getting stuff done and, and getting straight A's. But I've had moments in my life where I've, I've tasted 
God's fellowship. I've tasted the what the scripture might call like living waters. And when you when you drink of something like that, you realize there is nothing more worthy of living for than to have that kind of connection to experience God's love in that way. There's nothing that satisfies the longing of of my heart, the core of my being, like those moments where I feel the presence of God that he's near to me and I am I'm assured through that experience and somehow experience the reality that he really loves me. I, I'm using the phrase living loved, so living loved by our Savior intentionally because it communicates a couple of things that I want to emphasize about the experience. Um, first, I, living loved by God is something that we, is something that is lived out in the daily experience of our lives, hour by hour or day by day or, or week by week in the pace of life and in living your life. You know, here we are living our life in this physical world where we cannot see God. And yet at the same time, as we're going about, as I go about my life, you know, working, volunteering, shopping, eating, driving, whatever else I might be doing through it all, there's this steady stream of moments where my relationship with God is is coloring the reality around me, where his presence is somehow impacting how I think of myself, how I think of others, how I think about what I'm doing. You know, somewhere at the foundation of my existence is this truth that God loves me. And the embracing of that truth results in a constant stream of moments where I experience that. God loves me. Um, these aren't moments that are just isolated to, you know, 10 minutes of prayer or 20 minutes of Bible reading or, you know, 45 minutes in church. Uh, these, I'm talking about a reality of this present God that, in my experience, grows a little brighter each day, grows a little more real each week, each year of my life. Something is is growing and becoming stronger. Eternity feels like it's moving closer. I'm talking about a connection and a relationship that is growing deeper and stronger as we spend time together, as I am loved by my Savior. Living loved by God it means that I'm the one loving or living, and I'm very, very aware that He is the one loving, that there's something outside of myself that is bringing love into my life. I think sometimes when we, we think of ourselves as, those of us who think of ourselves as Christians, when we think of ourselves as Christians, and maybe you're reflecting on who am I, what is my identity, what kind of a Christian am I, all kinds of adjectives can start to be thrown in there. I'm a good Christian. I'm, I'm a bad Christian. I had a conversation recently where I was, I was frustrated, and, and uh, I said, I don't understand why it seems that it's only the bad Christians who are doing the good Christian things, and all the good Christians are mad at them for it. This was my work with uh, sheltering homeless people <laughs> in the community. I was voicing this in a safe space. Like, I don't get it. You guys are like the bad Christians. I mean, we all know you're the bad Christians, but you're the only people who are willing to do this. I don't, I don't get it. Anyhow, uh, and when we think of those terms or we, we start to put those labels on ourselves, it usually has something to do with how, how well we feel our behavior or someone else's behavior is, is lining up with 
the the morals and the expectations and the you know, whatever it, whatever kind of criteria might be there, we use those labels defined by how well we feel we are lining up to all of those things. Excuse me. Um, what if when I thought of myself as a Christian, what if when you thought of yourself and your identity, the first adjective that came to your mind was not good or bad or faithful or unfaithful. What if the first word that came to mind was loved? What if the deepest truth that you understood about yourself, the thing that you knew was truer than anything else, was the fact that you are loved, loved by God. Everything else in your life can be less true than that. In fact, I would argue with you that everything else in your life is less true than that. That there is one truth that defines humanity, and that is that we are loved by God. We are called by Him. We are we are, we're called by name. We're chosen by him. We are, he loves us so deeply. Do you have doubts about that? Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes it's helpful for me when I think of the cross and the, and the suffering uh, that Jesus endured on it to to. Understand it this way. You've got a human race who has fallen in sin, uh, separated from God, at war with each other, at war with God, at war with creation, chaos and war and violence and death all around. And somewhere in the back of their minds, they know we deserve this. We did this to ourselves. And I think part of what Jesus' mission was and what he was trying to accomplish on the cross, what he was trying to say to the world is you don't have to pay for what you've done. You're forgiven. And it's almost like we have to see someone suffer to know the price has been paid, right? And so that's what Christ did. He came down and suffered before the eyes of humanity. He offered up his life so that we would have assurance, yes, that price has been paid. You thought your sin meant that you had to die. But here I am stepping in to bear the consequences of your sin on myself. And why? Because I love you. And because my love is enough to overcome the waywardness of your heart. My love is enough to overcome, you know, your poor choices and your bad behavior and the brokenness that you're walking in. My love is enough to overcome it. I think when God looks at humanity from the cross... And he looks out and he, you know, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think he's saying beyond the words, I love you far too much to let you die for what you've done. How would it change your week if every time you were tempted to categorize yourself or you were tempted to categorize someone else? How would it change your perspective if every time you start to go to those categories, if you, you just migrate to the loved column. I am loved. This person is loved by God. I think it really begins to change the way that we see ourselves. And the miracle is when, when, we, when God begins to heal that part of us that wonders whether we're loved, wonders whether we're worthy, when he begins to heal that inside of us, we become capable of seeing other people 
as, as loved as well. To live in my Savior's love is my core passion. It's the cry of my heart. And for you to live in his love, uh, for you to experience uh, a life, for me to experience a life with our Savior is my core passion. I, I won't pursue anything that is, a, is apart from this or anything that would pull me away from this. If I can't live loved by God while I'm engaged in whatever it is that I might be doing, then I'm going, no, I'm out. For example, many of you know that I, I quit all social media some time ago. Uh, it's probably been almost two years. I can't remember exactly when. But I, I've never looked back, and I realize that me saying I've quit social media, especially to people who enjoy that a lot, it's sort of like your great friend who quit sugar a month ago, right? Like, they just they spend a month telling you how awesome 2022 is going for them. They're like, I quit sugar. It's the best. And you know by next Christmas they're going to be eating the cookies and the candy just like you. So you know that they may be feeling that moment, like this is really great. And we'll see how they feel later. And you have every right to feel that way about me. But the reason I quit is because as I interacted with this world that was um, just full of, well, full of, of fake smiles and stones thrown from a house of glass. I mean, it was just this, this uh, you know, either a, a horrible, unbearable toothpaste commercial or people just ranting about everything. I mean, the dashboard videos just kill my soul. Like, But I felt like I cannot experience God's love while I'm in this space. And many of you know, some of you are probably better. I have a, a somewhat addictive personality, so anything that I'm into, I'm really into. Uh, but the addictive nature of this space, like I cannot live loved by God in this space. I'm consumed with a thousand other feelings, right? I'm not feeling loved right now. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling super justified. I'm feeling whatever it might be. It was like, I couldn't do it. I couldn't live by love by God. And it's like, God's like, so why are you doing it? It's like, I don't know. I don't want to be left out. I don't want to, I don't want to miss like the baby pictures. You know, now my friends have to actually text them to me, you know? Um, anyways, I got out. I haven't looked back and, and I'm out of the loop. At the same time, though, in the last couple of years, I've experienced something new in my relationship with the Lord. In this space where there's just a little less noise in my life and a little less something to occupy my time and my energy, in that space of quiet, it, I have found new moments of quiet connection with God. And in some super profound ways, I've actually felt... In, in many ways, for some of the first times in my life, and certainly more consistently than I had in my life before, I've, I've actually felt that God desires to connect with me and delights in being with me. I, I feel, you know, it, I sense, I feel kind of on an intuitive level that for the first time, that God's not trying to hide from me. He's not trying to make things difficult for me. Think in my own mind, for a long time, my relationship with the Lord has been one where he makes things hard and I grow and mature. Like, that's just how it feels. Like, you know, he's like a really good coach or a really hard dad or something. Like, he just, he makes things hard and and if I can somehow achieve, then, then we get to be close. Um, 
That's not who God is. Uh, this one scene from Scripture always sticks into my mind, and it's become one of my favorite stories out of the book of Acts. It's when Paul is in Athens, and he has an opportunity to share the gospel with uh, the philosophers of Athens. And so much of our society and our philosophy about the, philosophy about the world comes from Greco-Roman culture. And, and so in many ways, I think that, that Paul's message to the philosophers of Athens is, is super relevant to us today. Um, he says to them, this is out of Acts 17, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So often I think we, uh, humanity conceptualizes God or gods or who, you know, whoever their God is, whatever religion it is. It's easy to conceptualize this God as someone who uh, lives in the temples that we build to him, someone who is served by the actions that we do for him, and that he is somehow getting something that he needs out of this whole relationship. And if we can provide God something that he needs, I mean, we've now ingratiated ourselves to this God, right? Like he owes us. And if he owes us, if God owes us, you know, our conceptualization of God, if the creator of the universe owes me, that's a good place to be, right? I mean, wouldn't it, some of you are like, if I could just figure out a way to have James owe me a favor, then I could use the Roxy for free. That would be great. Like, imagine if God owes you a favor. Now you've got real power. But Paul says, rather than that, this God is someone who he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God is the giver. He doesn't need anything from us. Rather, he gives to us. We need everything from him. Paul continues, he says, From one man, God made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Paul's like, God set this beautiful world up. He filled it with beautiful people. He, he planned all of this, the nations, the, the places they lived, the times they were born. And you can think of that, people, on the macro level, and then you can bring it right down to the individual. And I think Paul is saying these words about you. He set your time. He established the boundaries of your lands. He knew your lot number on the Cowlitz County Assessor's website before you ever bought that house. Why did he do this? What is it that God is trying to accomplish through this whole human experience? What is it that he's doing? Paul says, God did this so that the people would seek him, perhaps reach out to him, and find him. He says, though he's not far from any one of us. For so much of my life, I felt that God is far and that I've got to you know, I've, I've got to figure out how to close that gap. I've got to figure out how to come close to him. And I know that if I move close to him, I know what he's going to do next. He's going to move a little further. He's going to set the ball a little higher. And that's maturity. Learning how to climb ladders and leap canyons. That's spiritual maturity. 
Um, Living loved by God is living into the truth that Paul said to the philosophers in Athens. It's saying that God did all of this hoping you would find him. All of this isn't his way of moving away and making it difficult for you. He's, he's infused all of creation with his character so that humanity would look at the world around them and say, there must be a God who is beautiful and kind and wonderful and generous. He's infused creation with his character that we would come to it and we would say, wow, who is this maker who's made all of this for us? And understanding that he is as close to you as the air in your lungs. Living loved is living into this truth that God is present, that he is here, that he is with you each and every moment, each and every day, and that he desires for you to find him and experience his love. I remember playing hide-and-seek with my kids when I was little, and um, forgive me if I've used this sermon illustration before. Uh, I don't recall it, but if I have, forgive me. I had a friend who was a pastor. He was so disciplined. All, he told a lot of personal stories, and he wrote down when he told the story on the date. And if he told it like in the last four years, he did not tell it again. If only I could be so organized. Anyways, I remember playing hide-and-seek with my children when they're small. And um, I'm, I'm a pretty good hider compared to like a three-year-old. So I would, I would hide somewhere, and you'd hear their little feet running around the house, looking, looking, looking. And then at some point, when you feel like the game's no longer fun for them, what do you do? You call out. You make a noise. You, you call for them. Because you want to be found, right? You want to be found. I really believe that, that that's, that's a lot like what God is like, hidden in our world. But he wants to be found by us. He really does. Because he's not living for those moments of hiding from you. He's living for those moments of discovery. When that wonders on your face, I didn't know you were in the bathtub. How clever. And then where do they hide next? In the bathtub. They're like... That was such a good idea. And God's like, that's what I want. I want you to find me here, and then I want you to be like, wow, I didn't know this is what you were like. What a great idea. I'm going to be like that. I have a question. Do you have anyone around you who makes you feel loved? Feeling super important. You know, we don't live our lives, we don't make our decisions based on what we, what we think we know. At the end of the day, we make our decisions, we build our lives on what we feel is true. I'm using the word thinking to describe the cognitive, rational brain that you have, this incredible gift to like do math and analyze things. And I'm using the word feeling to talk about your intuition. When you just do it because you, if someone asked you why you did it, you'd have to come up with a reason real fast, but you don't know. You just did it because it was right. It was right. Brain science consistently reveals that it is intuition and feelings that guide our decisions much more than cognitive reasoning. For some of you, that's probably something hard to hear. In fact, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I have to break it to you. You're not as rational as you think you are. 
Even those of you who might be comparatively rational to many of the human beings, you're still, more often than not, guided by your intuition, by your feelings. In fact, uh, <laughs> the fact that some of you would say, there is no way, there's no way that I'm not as rational as I think I am, proves the point, right? I'm sure you feel super rational. But the reality is that you will, your, your, your reasoning skills have a lot more to do with apologizing for what you have done or coming up with reasons for what you have done than actually being a part of the decision-making uh, process. Brain scans, experiments, all of it has pointed to that for quite a number of years now. Um, I've got some book recommendations if you want them to read about that. But um, I can ask you, who, who do you know loves you? And that's a very different question than when I say, who is it that makes you feel loved? Who do you know loves you is a question that you have the right answers to, right? You know, my mom, my dad, my pastor. <laughs> um, but when I say, what, who, who makes you feel loved? This is a question that causes you to begin to search inside of yourself. Begin to look inside of the memories of your life. What has happened to you today, this morning, this week, this year, 10 years ago? And as you take that inventory, there are powerful moments where people in your, in your life have made you feel loved. And these are the people that you feel this strong soul connection with. These are the people that you care about. These are the people that you would die for. The feeling part is really important. Knowing that Jesus loves you because the Bible tells you so, what a terrible song, it will not carry you through life. It doesn't work that way. Knowing the answers will not carry you through to the end. If you've never experienced God's love, how could we ever expect you to keep believing in him simply because an ancient document has it written down? We never do things that don't work for us for very long. If it doesn't work for you on a practical level, you won't stick with it. I used to believe that if I, if I you know, lived faithfully, you know, did everything right, behaved myself, the, the whole Christian bit, like pray enough and, and be a part of a church. Um, if I did all of that myself and those that I loved, would somehow be entitled to a, a good life with, with little to no trouble. I mean, I know trouble's going to come, and I know bad things happen, but, but I felt entitled to something, to a good life. If I do my part, God will do his part. I was pretty sure the Bible said all of that somewhere. You know, I mean, don't press me for where, but I was pretty sure it's all in there. But, you know, my experience of life has, has taught me and at times, in contrast to what maybe I've heard said from a church pulpit or what I've read in a Bible study, my experience in life has convinced me of a few things. One, nothing is guaranteed. Nothing is guaranteed in this life. And, and, and behaving oneself and doing all the right things seems a lot more to me like a shortcut to spiritual pride and or disillusionment than a path to the hashtag blessed life. 
It really does. If, if things work out for you and no one gets sick or you never lose a game, um, you end up in spiritual pride. And you're just there and you know that you have good things because you've been uh, a good Christian. Uh, the first time that your, your world is hit with the reality of a broken world, the first time that you experience tragic loss, then you end up with disillusionment. I, incidentally, I think the path to a blessed life probably has a lot more to do with gratitude than anything else. Um, that's what life's convinced me. So, so life has convinced me that uh, uh, the experience, I feel a different truth than what I knew in my head, say, when I was uh, successfully an adult raised in the church. Um, so what is it that I believe now? I really believe I'm loved by God. There's a lot of stuff that I don't know about that I'm not so sure about. I don't, I don't have great answers for why bad things happen to good people or why good things happen to bad people. Um, but I know I'm loved by God. I felt it. It's changed me. I really believe, I really feel that this story that's been passed down from generation to generation, the story of a creator and a garden, the story of, of a fall and redemption, the story of, of a God who clothed himself in humanity, uh, the story of a savior and a sacrifice, I really believe this story is true. Not because I was taught it, but because I feel a personal connection to the one who claims to be author of the story. I've found a friend who's closer than a brother. And I reflect on my life and the, the state of the world and disappointments, and I, I'm convinced, I feel that I could not deny Christ any quicker than I could deny one of you. Because I really have beheld the glory of, of the face of the, of the one who's called me by name and called me his own. Now, I will completely surrender the fact that I am leaning into uh, the world of personal revelation that is of an extremely subjective nature. This is the beautiful thing about emotions is they are an undeniable subjective reality. If I tell you that I feel sad, you cannot argue me out of that. It's not, it's not how the human brain works. I feel connected with God. That is a truth that no one can ever argue me out of. It doesn't matter what you know, what they dig up in the ground that they think undermines the credibility of the scriptures. If I feel connected to God, there's something powerful there that no one can ever take. So yes, it's subjective. Yes, it's kind of an internal thing that we're describing. And yes, that makes thinking people nervous. That makes me nervous. But this is my core, core passion to live in this place, feeling the love of God, feeling connected with him. To close, I just want to give you a couple of things to keep in mind. Whew, we're running long today. One, in endeavoring to live loved by your Savior, I, I, believe, I believe one thing is really essential. 
um, and that is time. When we're talking about relationship, there's no, there's no shortcut to it. There's no way to, to get close to God quickly. Um, just like there's no way to get close to a person quickly. Now, sometimes the chemistry's there and things click and you spend some time together and you just feel so close. And that's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But we don't have, think about the relationships that you have, the people that you feel close to, the relationships that you feel confident in. Those are all going to be relationships that you've invested time in. I mean, you'd be a fool to meet someone on the street and be like, can you watch my kids next week? Like, none of you would do that. If you would, you should be arrested. Um, so time, there's no, there's no way to get around it. Time is essential. The other thought that I had that I wanted to share with you is time is essential. I really believe that formula is not. And this is what makes it difficult for me as a preacher who's supposed to give you three things to do this week to be closer to God. And, and it's tough. But I know this. I know that um, I love to buy flowers for Laura, my wife, because she really loves flowers. You know, why she loves something that would die so quickly, I don't know. Because I try to limit my emotional attachments to things like that. Um, I mean, I'm struggling with the dog because I'm like, she's got maybe 10 years and I don't want to say goodbye. But she loves it. Um, The minute that my habit of buying flowers for Laura became an act of discipline or a part of my routine or something that I marked on the calendar and checked the box, the minute that I did all that, it's over, right? That's That's not what it's about. It's not about a formula. So this, this passion of wanting to live loved by God, it's not a passion that's pursued by checking boxes and setting measurable goals. I, I just don't think that it works that way. It, I haven't found it to work that way in my relationship with God. It, for me, pride is all about checking boxes. Pride is all about creating formulas that are predictable and making sure that I measured up to all of the standards I set for myself. Um, and and I, I, I don't want to put God in that kind of a box, and I don't want to put myself in that kind of a box. I've, I've lived enough of my life there. Um, enough said about that. Um, those are two things. And I just want to leave you with this story uh, about an interview that Mother Teresa gave to Dan Rather in the, in the 1980s. Uh, you guys remember Dan Rather. He was like the poor man's Walter Conkite, uh, or the rich man's Ron Burgundy. Um, anyhow, uh, this is from a book by Sky Jathani. It's called uh, With and and if you're looking for a book that would maybe inspire you to be renewed in your, in your relational connection with God, I, I would totally recommend this book. Um, anyhow, uh, Dan Rather is interviewing Mother Teresa, and he's asking her about prayer. And he says to her, when you pray, what do you say to God? I don't say anything, she replied. I listen. Okay, okay, Rather says, all right. He says, well, when God speaks to you then, what does he say? She says, he doesn't say anything. He listens. Rather doesn't really know what to do with that, right? (laughs) And then she adds in there. She says, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. Lord, we want to be people who listen to you. We want to be people who are listened to by you. We want to be people who walk with you in the depth of relationship that transcends language. 
certainly our English language. It begins to speak to us in the language of the heart that's beyond words. We want to be people who feel your presence, who feel that connection with you in an undeniable inner reality. We're thankful for our brains. We're thankful that you gave us thought. We, we are so grateful for the way that that even allows us to conceptualize this idea of connecting to you in that way. But Lord, only you can capture our hearts and hold us fast to you. Only you can bring the good things that we have learned about you and make them things that we feel are true. I ask that you would draw each of us into a deeper relationship with you this week, that you would draw each of us into a more meaningful um, place of connection with you, and that you would really help us because the path is so unique to each of us. You, your spirit would guide each one of us to that place where we need to be. And then help us as a community to help one another. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.